Ladies and gentlemen, today we're taking a deep dive into the late, the great Chadwick Boseman's extended body of work. Tickets Please presents the highly anticipated, long-awaited return of Outside the Actors Studio. This is Alexa and Catherine. Okay, we're covering 14 movies today. This is a bit of an odd start because his first on-screen credit is for The Express, the Ernie Davis story, which he was only in about five minutes of at the end. The Express came out in 2008 and was directed by Gary Flender. Where did you get us these uh, summaries? (laughs) Rotten Tomatoes. Is that where we got them for our Leo episode? Yeah. These are going to (laughs) be... They're quite jazzy, a lot of them. Ernie Davis, played by Rob Brown, overcomes many obstacles to get into Syracuse University's football program. Under the guidance of coach Ben Schwartzwalder, played by Dennis Quaid, Davis becomes one of the school's best players, even surpassing Jim Brown's achievements. In 1961, he becomes the first Black player to win the Heisman Trophy. But there's one more obstacle in his life that he must overcome. What a horrible summary. Yeah. Because we should say this now even though you're all probably assuming there will be spoilers of every movie we talk about. Yes. And to spoil this immediately, he does not overcome that final obstacle. Yeah. Horrible, horrible summary. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. You see, my plan is to be just like you. The best Negro running back in the NCAA. Heisman Trophy all the way. Then the NFL makes some money. (laughs) You got it all figured out, don't you? 
What I will say, Chadwick is only in one scene. He plays Floyd Little. And once I saw the direction the movie was taking when when we come to find out that Ernie is diagnosed with leukemia, I was wondering how they were going to end it in a way that felt triumphant and emblematic of the journey he'd taken and we'd seen. And I did really enjoy that we saw him almost pass the torch to Floyd Little. My playing days are over. So don't you look at that post of me on your wall and tell me you want to be like me because that isn't enough. You're going to have to do better than that. You think you can? Yes, sir. And have that same experience that he had with Jim Brown in the beginning. So while he's only in one scene, it was a really powerful and moving scene. It was. I thought it was really special for it being his first film credit. And while we're not going to get into the details of the movie, since he really isn't in most of it, we both will say if you enjoy triumphant stories and sports movies, this is definitely one to watch. Also, where the hell is Rob Brown? Because he's great. I watched this with my mom, uncle, and brother. We watched it on Easter. And all of us were blown away with, with how great it was and that none of us had seen nor heard of it. Floyd Little wore the number 44 jersey at Syracuse and played nine outstanding seasons with the Denver Broncos. Next up, we have a real masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> the Kill Hole. Uh, the Kill Hole came out in 2012 and is directed by uh, Misha Webley. Intelligence agents force a troubled Iraq war vet, Lieutenant Samuel Drake, Chadwick, to find and kill a fellow veteran, Sergeant Devin Carter, played by Tori Kittles, who seems to be planning a deadly strike against the government. What I'm capable of is bullshit. This is bullshit. What the fuck do you want from me? I'm paying my dues. I don't got to answer to this shit from you. Look at you. This is how they make us suffer. We got to put an end to this shit, Drake. You out of your fucking mind. You dragged me out here to this shithole to what? To play out some little game? Yes, exactly. It's been a game from the beginning, but up until now, we've been the pawns. <laughs> shit, Carter. You think we're ever going to be anything but a bunch of fucking pawns? That's in the job description. Not great. No. <laughs> I don't know if it was just me or the mood I was in. Do you find it difficult to follow? It was really difficult to follow. I thought the writing was bad. The directing was... It just wasn't good. We don't even really have to dissect why it wasn't good. Chadwick was surprisingly good for what little he had to work with. Mm -hmm. And I also read that there are a few scenes in the movie where we see a group of veterans at a support group meeting and they were all real veterans. Oh, I wow. thought that was cool and special and also really important. Yes. And I wish that the rest of the film had been good so that it got more attention. Moving on to one that actually was really good and deserved all the praise is 42. 
So 42 is released in 2013 and was directed by Brian Helgland. In 1946, Branch Rickey, Harrison Ford, legendary manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, defies MLB's notorious color barrier by signing Jackie Robinson, played by Chadwick, to the team. The heroic act puts both Ricky and Robinson in the firing line of the public, the press, and other players. Facing open racism from all sides, Robinson demonstrates true courage and admirable restraint by not reacting in kind and lets his undeniable talent silence the critics for him. We've been tested, you and me. We've done everything the right way. We have. Me trying to make money, you finishing school. We don't know the world a thing. Only each other. Jack, what are you talking about? What is going on? What happened? Will you marry me, Ray? Absolutely. <laughs> when? Um, how about right now? The first note I have is Richard exclamation point. And I realized I've seen so much of James Pickens Jr. as Richard from Grace. And I know he's done other stuff, but he's so embedded into our souls as Richard that I was like, what is he doing here? I know. And especially (laughs) in the same movie as T.R. Knight, George. Yes. And like, you're not supposed to be on a porch. You're supposed to be in the hospital. (laughs) I thought I wrote this into my notes here, but I guess I didn't. Because I also had that thought, <laughs> like, did they raid the Grey's cast for this? <laughs> or is, like, where's the connection? In the next one, they raid the Veep cast. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of 42? I know you're a Harrison Ford lover. Please, I'm a stan through and through. I loved it. <laughs> to be honest, I imagine that his character is very similar to what he's like in in real life. This like (laughs) gruff, sarcastic, funny guy most of the time that's kind of over everything and everybody and is going to do what hell he wants. That's how I imagine Harrison really is. I thought it was interesting how he started off wanting to sign him and saying, screw everybody. Yeah. Because he knew how talented he was and that he would help them win. And then as it progresses, we see that they actually form a relationship and he learns to value a person beyond what they can give him in terms of winning the game. Yeah. It just sucks that it takes someone to be so exceptionally talented and exceptionally patient in taking racism and abuse for the the white people yeah. to come around. I mean, that whole concept is disgusting, but it's, I guess, reality. So, yeah. you know, they have to portray it as it was. It was. And to your point, it also sucks that in a lot of these, it also takes like a white companion for them to yeah. be validated in any sort of way. I mean, basically, Branch Rickey has to be the the speeding train that is headed towards the mob of people that are coming for Jackie Robinson. And he has to take a lot of the brunt of that. One of my favorite lines of Ricky's is when the Phillies manager calls. Why is that, Herb? His name is Jackie Robinson, by the way. Yeah, Branch, I understand he's got a name, but we're just not ready for that sort of thing here in Philadelphia. 
Now, I'm afraid that we're not going to be able to take the field against your team if that boy's in uniform. Well, what you do with your team is your decision, Herb. But my team's going to be in Philadelphia tomorrow with Robinson. And if we have to claim the game as a forfeit, so be it. That's nine to zero, in case you forgot. You know what, Branch? You've had a hell of a hair across your ass over this for a long time, and I'd like to know what it is you think you're trying to prove. You think God likes baseball, Herb? What, what the hell is that supposed to mean? It means someday you're going to meet God, and when he inquires as why you didn't take the field against Robinson in Philadelphia, and you answer that it's because he was a Negro, it may not be a sufficient reply. It was hysterical because of his delivery, because it's Harrison Ford. But then it, it was nice to see that he, even behind the closed doors, was basically like, this is what we're doing. He deserves to be here. He's a part of the team. And you guys can do whatever the hell you want. One thing that I noticed, and I watched these in reverse. I 42 was one of the first ones I watched. Same. But I noticed that in both this and The Express, the athletes played by Chadwick and by Rob Brown had the same experience of being turned away from hotels with their team. Yes. It's so sickening. But another connection between the two movies that is much more positive and great is that Nicole Bahari plays Rob's love interest in the Express and mm -hmm. she plays Chadwick's wife in 42. Yeah. I love her. She is such a good actress and especially uh, there's something about her playing a character in that period of time. When did the Express take place? in the 60s, and 42 was in the mid-40s. She felt like they found someone from that time period to be in the movie, right? I, com I completely <laughs> agree. And also, she brings such, just from seeing her, especially in the Express, because she has such a an entrance when they when he sees her across the campus and it, like, zooms in on her, and, and she has such that moment. But there is something so instantly comforting and warm about her presence, but it's, and especially when she plays um, Jackie's wife in 42. She's just so even and comforting and steady and gorgeous. I completely agree with you. And what I was thinking as I watched it was how, how much he needed someone to be like a soft place to land. Yeah. That was also a very sturdy support. Yeah. And she did that so effortlessly. It was really beautiful. It really was. That's actually a through line through a couple like even in Marshall, his wife in Marshall is is a similar role. Basically, just someone to be their safe place when they're done dealing with the horrible, outlandish racism that they're faced with yeah. in the world. That they can come home to a presence that's just so loving and and warm. All the while knowing that all of these black women were also dealing with all their own oh battles every single day too. Yeah. I know it's a trope of like the strong black woman. Mm -hmm. And and I've heard a lot of black women say we don't want to always have to be strong. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic for sure. That scene where Chadwick I think it happens right after the coach from the opposite team is being a raging piece of shit when he is in the, what the hell is it called? The, like the tunnel, the tunnel yeah, that the leads tunnel. to the field. Yes. And he's breaking the bat yes. and you see him from the side in silhouette. Yes. Was so intense. 
Son of a bitch that opens his mouth, I'll smash his goddamn teeth in. Can't do that, Jack. I'm supposed to just let this go on. These men have to live with themselves. I have to live with myself, too. Right now, I'm living a sermon out there. That brings one to my notes in general. I don't know how to describe how beautiful it was shot for, to someone who hasn't seen it because every scene is lit so beautifully, especially the one that you're talking about. The light from the field is blinding. It almost makes the entire tunnel like blindingly white because all the walls are like that brick, that painted brick white that he's standing in when he's smashing the bat and just the that haloing effect that happens from the light that's shining into the tunnel so many of the scenes were like that and and so many of them have that warm like almost sepia tone over the whole entire thing to give you the sense that it was taking place in the past but it was just i every shot was beautiful if we had watched this before we recorded baseball movies it would have been on my list definitely uh another note that i have that really irritates me and that I noticed in a lot of his movies, because unfortunately so many of them have to deal with race, mainly because there are not as many roles for black actors. And so many of them are focused on race, but um, I noticed this a lot, but this is one that I wrote down toward the end of the movie, his teammate, that was kind of a piece of shit the whole time. Yeah. They're standing out on the field and he puts his arm around him And he basically like decides not to be racist. And then they play this really tender music and everything is okay. And it was just so (laughs) like the, the raging privilege to treat someone like they're just worthless. Mm -hmm. And then to take your time and come around as you see fit. And then when you decide that that's not how you want to be anymore, you put your arm around him and then suddenly everything's fine. I wish Jackie could have turned him and said like, get off of me and don't talk to me. Like I just didn't like that. That was portrayed as a tender moment because it wasn't earned on the part of the guy who did it. I'm sure that you're right, but it didn't stand out to me because what did stand out to me is how, and this is equally disturbing because it's based in reality is how, prolonged the resistance was from the team because Mm -hmm. when we see like fictionalized versions of this kind of story where um a black person is introduced to a sports team they have to embrace him you know yada yada it's a story we've seen a couple of times but there was so much more resistance through so much of the movie that it really stood out to me as fucked up that that's a hundred percent what went on in reality Like even when they're denied from the hotel and then they get into that fight outside, like they're still being horrible and discriminatory and towards him, even though he's been on the team and they've been winning and they are supposed to be coming together at this point in like a fictionalized story, they would have been coming together at this point, but they were still in opposition. Yeah. And how, when 
the team finally, I know I already kind of said this, but mm-hmm. when the team finally comes around, Jackie is expected to just yes. say like, okay, when I can only imagine that inside he wants to say like, you know what, actually, fuck you. Yeah. After all you put me through that now you decide you're going to quote, accept me and I'm just supposed to forget about everything you've put me through. It was so powerful to see Jackie make the the switch flip in the very beginning when he goes from the miners to the Dodgers that it, cause in the first couple of scenes, we see him when he mouths off to the gas station attendant and goes into the bathroom without, you know, when Harrison Ford's character says to him, you want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back? No, no. I want a player who's got the guts not to fight back. People aren't going to like this. They're going to do anything to get you to react. Echo a curse with a curse and they'll, they'll hear only yours. Follow a blow with a blow and they'll say the Negro lost his temper. That the Negro does not belong. Your enemy will be out in force and you cannot meet him on his own low ground. We win with hitting, running, fielding, only that. We win if the world is convinced of two things, that you are a fine gentleman and a great baseball player. It's so crazy and powerful to see how instantly he just makes the decision and is forced to take what comes at him as he goes on that journey. Gut-wrenching, really. Yeah. I see what you mean, like the strength of character to be able to make that decision. Yeah. But so gut-wrenching that he has to just basically swallow it all. Did you know that Chadwick passed away on Jackie Robinson Day? No. I don't think anybody could have played that role the way he did. Jackie Robinson was named Major League Rookie of the Year in 1947. He won the World Series in 1955 against the New York Yankees, stealing home in Game 1. He was elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962. Every year in April, all MLB players wear the number 42 as a reminder of Jackie's accomplishments on and off the field. The number 42 is the only number retired by all of baseball. Next up is draft day. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, Draft day was released in 2014 and was directed by Ivan Reitman. Sonny Weaver Jr., Kevin Costner, is the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. NFL draft day is drawing near, but Sonny has much more on his mind than just which players to recruit. His lover, Jennifer Garner, is pregnant. (laughs) and the team's owner, Frank Langella, wants to fire him. After Sonny accepts a deal with Seattle that nets him the team's first-round pick, he immediately wonders if he's made the right choice for himself and the team. That ball you want to take? That there's a mistake. Callahan. Callahan's a poser. Yeah, and what do you know that every scout and coach on earth does not? I know he got sacked 12 times last year. No, it was 11. It was 11 times. Yeah, well, four of them were mine in one game. Yeah, I remember. I, I, I saw your highlight reel. I also remember that he beat you. 
Watch it again. Don't watch me. Watch him. Watch me sack him four times in one game. Then watch what happens after. Chadwick, again, had a pretty small but pivotal role yes. in this. I loved the concept of this. I thought it had potential to be really, really good. Unfortunately, I don't think it reached its potential. I thought it was bad. I liked it. Um, (laughs) I do agree that it did not reach its potential. And it was an interesting concept to see draft day pictured in a movie because I really didn't know anything about it. I actually had my brother give me a, a short synopsis of how it works because i genuinely had i watched the first scene where seattle makes the deal with him or is talking about making the deal and i genuinely had no idea what they were talking about so i had him explain it to me and then it made a little bit more sense so i did like it but there was just it needed an editor that was more competent at taking out scenes that just did not need to be in it it also needed a casting director that would tell dennis leary to get very very far away I hate him. I didn't hate him before this. I was indifferent, but now I've moved into hatred. I thought he was horrible. Horrible. (laughs) Jennifer Garner was perfect as usual. Please. She's incapable of anything less. (laughs) (laughs) I love her so much. So we don't see too much from Chadwick, really. There Mm -hmm. are a couple of scenes where he's on the phone with Sonny Mm -hmm. and basically saying, I deserve to be a first round pick. Yeah. And I'm going to deliver for you if you make that decision. And through most of it, we think that's probably not going to happen until the end when the movie has one of its only incredible moments. Yeah. He ultimately not only becomes a first round draft pick, but the number one. And it's really, really exciting to see his reaction with his whole family there. And to know that being the number one pick, he's going to make a ton more money than he would if he fell into what he thought would maybe be, you know, six round or or whatever. Not that he couldn't have been successful because Tom Brady was six round. I was just going to say that one of the biggest takeaways I had from the movie was when they dropped that Tom Brady was 199th in his draft. My mom and I were blown away. I had no clue that that was the case. And then it just made me retroactively was like, draft day is stupid. Like (laughs) It it means nothing. I was like, this is dumb. It has no, and then I looked up from um, Tom Brady's draft, who was number one, and it was a name I had never heard of. Who was it? Do you remember the name? Courtney Brown. Hmm. I mean, and, I guess if we were bigger football well, fans, I asked know, my but... uncle specifically, is that somebody? And he said, who? And I said, there you go. <laughs> so... <laughs> Wait, did you guys watch this on Easter too? No, my mom and I, my, while my mom was doing my nails, she, we watched oh, Okay. This. And then I asked him. <laughs> the moment when he gets picked, I teared up. I thought it was so good. And I love that he was at his family's and I love the the reasoning he gives to Sonny when he's on the phone. Cause then he asks like, if he's going to be there and he's like, no, I'm going to my grandma's because she won't make the trip to New York. Please. <laughs> I love it so much. Once the draft began, the movie was good. That like, <laughs> that like 20 minutes when he picks Vante and then makes all the moves to get, uh Jennings also and that was all very exciting when he makes the switch to Seattle and then the switch to the other team that had a pick that was all very good but the lead up was too long and 
superfluous. I am removing the superfluous buns. Next is Get On Up. Get On Up came out in 2014 and was directed by Tate Taylor. James Brown, played by Chadwick, was born in 1933 South Carolina and survived abandonment, abuse, and jail to become one of the most influential musicians of the 20th century. Although his backup musicians came and went, Brown retained the ability to mesmerize audiences with his music, signature moves, and sexual energy. It's like I always say, you gotta know who you are, gotta know where you are, and it's when five minutes ago them boys was the baddest band on the planet. Now they nothing. Just a bunch of side men with their hearts beating fast. I ain't no slave driver. I just want you to do right by yourself. Missy, I'm coming here talking about my taxes. My taxes? All I've done for this country and they come after James Brown? Why? You can't make everybody happy and still stay on top? Nah. You don't get it. They don't get it. You say fuck you to James Brown? You're along for the ride. Long as everything is groovy, but then you're gonna kick me when I'm down when you think I'm down. Cause James Brown ain't never down. What did you think of this? I thought the movie overall wasn't as good as it could have been. Yes. But I thought Chadwick transformed into James Brown. Took the words out of my mouth. I think on a scene to scene level, it's outstanding. He disappears into James Brown. It's truly a transformative role. But on a whole, I had a big problem with the script and the editing and just the movie overall. It was meandering. Yes. It was slow. It was incredibly slow. And I think it was lacking a driving force because totally agree. A biopic is supposed to have, like, yes, it's supposed to teach us about that person's life, give us their story, blah, blah, blah. But usually a good biopic is also proving a point or making a statement about them. And it seems like they couldn't pick one about James Brown. So they're like, just throw them all in. They'll just figure it out. The constant jumping back and forth in time I felt was unnecessary. It could have been a story that was told linearly. It didn't need all of that. It made it distracting. It seemed like every time I was settling into a scene or a story or a period in time, it would jump me to the next part. And then I couldn't figure out what they were trying to say. And for someone who lived such a storied life and and built such a storied career, there were so many scenes that only had energy in them because of what Chadwick brought to them. Yes. Everything else felt flat around him. Even when he was on stage, he was like fully bringing it and and the rest of it just felt flat. Yeah. So if you had to choose someone to have written the script or directed it, who would you have chosen? I mean, just off the top of my head, Aaron Sorkin has great scripts. His direction is incompetent and horrible, so I would not have chosen for him to direct it. But he has outstanding scripts and, and loves writing about history. So I would pick Aaron Sorkin to have written it, but directing, I am less familiar with what makes good and bad. So I wouldn't have a pick for director. I think maybe almost anyone. Yeah, pretty much. Honestly, this seems crazy because the movies are so different, but Ryan Coogler, who directed Black Panther, I would have love to see this through his lens. I mean, we'll talk about this more when we get to it, but he's... (laughs) 
astounding. The way he directs and makes it look effortless, I would have loved to have seen him do this. Yeah. It's a shame because I this was actually the first one that I watched. I was excited to see it because I love biopics and I thought it would be great. And there were parts that I really enjoyed, but overall, by the end, I was feeling, I was not being told by the movie what to feel and not Mm. that I need it to, but usually when you're done, you want to feel like, wow, or overcome with something or have a point to take away. And I just didn't have it. I felt sad for James Brown. Yes. And maybe that was one of the things they wanted us to come away with. But usually, even if you feel sad in that way for a character or for a person, a real person, yeah, um, it's a different kind of sad. Yeah. I noticed, so this was one of the first ones I watched too, because I also was excited about <laughs> it. <laughs> and I noticed that the guy who played Bobby Bird in this mm-hmm was the guy who played Ernie Davis's brother in The Express. Yep. There's so much cool crossover like that. James Brown became one of the greatest artists in the history of popular music and is one of the most sampled musicians of all time. Okay, next up is Captain America Civil War. Okay, so Civil War came out in 2016 and was directed by the Russo brothers, Anthony Russo and Joe Russo. Political pressure mounts to install a system of accountability when the actions of the Avengers lead to collateral damage. The new status quo deeply divides the members of the team. Captain America, Chris Evans, believes superheroes should remain free to defend humanity without government interference. He's a Republican. Iron Man Robert Downey (laughs) Jr. sharply disagrees and supports oversight. As the debate escalates into an all-out feud, Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson, and Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner, must pick a side. Interesting that those are the two characters they chose to Wait a minute, but is Jeremy Renner even in it? It Barely. (laughs) And there's also like 12 other people. (laughs) Are they picking sides? Just weird choices, but... So you like cats? Sam. What? Duke shows up dressed like a cat. You don't want to know more? Your suit. Vibranium? The Black Panther has been the protector of Wakanda for generations. A mantle passed from warrior to warrior. Now, because your friend murdered my father... I also wear the mantle of king. So I ask you, as both warrior and king, how long do you think you can keep your friend safe from me? So this was the only the third Marvel movie I'd ever seen. The only other two I saw before this were when they first came out, Iron Man 1 and 2. I didn't really know what I was walking into. I knew who a lot of the characters were just from living in the world, but I didn't really know what to expect. What about you? Uh, I had only, this was only my second Marvel movie ever. I've only, uh, unless you count, uh, which most people don't because they're not included in the MCU. um, I've seen the original Spider-Man trilogy, the Sam Raimi movies, but, and then I saw one Avengers, the very, the first Avengers movie. So this was my second really like canon to the world marvel movie what did you think um of the of the ones we watched this was my least favorite by a lot um just because i thought i don't know the story was a little strange i I didn't i never had thought 
when I'm watching a superhero movie, rarely does it cross my mind of like the destruction and like humans reaction to when they're done fighting. And it was just a, a weird choice to me that they wanted to frame the whole story about blaming the superheroes after they're done battling the villains. Yeah. And I guess there's a point to be made there, but they did not make the point effectively. <laughs> no, they did not. I thought it it was meandering and a little bit boring at parts, but one of the climactic scenes towards the end when they all finally fight, I thought was outstanding. I loved that. Not only was I disappointed, but I was terrified because... Oh, and that was untrue what I said before. I had already seen Black Panther when it came out as well. Oh, me too. But so I knew how good Black Panther was and I was holding this to that standard. Yeah. And it missed by a <laughs> long shot. <laughs> I thought, well, my first note is Black Panther is 100 times cooler than any other superhero in this universe. And honestly, even after seeing all that I've seen, I pretty much stand by that. I, I do but... too, especially his outfit, by far the coolest. Please. So, well, yes. By far yes. the coolest. Okay. Not even a contest. Um, the dialogue in this was so cheesy. <laughs> I did like Ant-Man getting huge. I thought Please. Paul Rudd was so I, cute. I thought he was such a standout in all the scenes he was in. I wrote, and I have changed my opinion on this since, hmm. but the only ones who weren't cringy, Black Panther, Iron Man, Spider-Man, and Ant-Man. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson, huge Please. fan of hers. Horrendous. She was so bad. Everyone was bad in this. <laughs> Well, everyone, aside from those four people I just mentioned, were bad. I thought this movie was a waste of, what, $250 million. Yeah. Uh, that's how bad I thought it was. I don't think, I, I I would dial my reaction down a couple of notches. <laughs> but um, Thank God one of us is reasonable. <laughs> but I do, I think it pales in comparison to all the other ones that I've seen. I do agree with you, though, and I wrote this in my notes that I thought the last 30 minutes was better than yes. the previous two hours. I think when they're at that like airport hangar, wherever the hell they are, where they end up fighting and then all the stuff after that, where Bucky and Captain America go and confront the villain and then Iron Man shows up. I thought all that was good, but the everything prior to that was forgettable and unnecessary. A waste. But seeing Iron Man learn how and why his parents died was intense yeah i also did like how um this is the introduction of both black panther and of spider-man both of them got introed in this movie without oh, having their own i didn't know spider-man did okay yeah, this was his in this came out before the first tom holland spider-man so we got to see them in this before they had their own standalone movies. What's the first scene we see Chadwick in? I think it's when they're at that like weird conference thing where they're all going to sign and decide that the government can control superheroes and T'Challa's there with his father. And I think his father speaks and gives, yeah, that's, and that's, and that's during when, his speech. Yeah, yeah. And that's when they're, they're attacked by Bucky. 
or what they think is Bucky. I don't even remember at this point who it's. I still them. don't totally understand who it was because then we think it was that professor guy, but then something happens that makes that made me think that it wasn't him either. Yeah, I, don't really I think know. I think we 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 lose a tiny bit of context. Me and you having not seen the other Captain America movies and some of the context that's needed for this one. We lose the most when it comes to Captain America's story and the Winter Soldier's story. So we see T'Challa's father get killed, the king. And then he knows he needs to step up and take his place. It's interesting to see the Black Panther story weaved into this movie before we get the full context from the standalone. So we're kind of getting like a half version of what we understand there customs and culture to be like before we actually see that come to fruition in black panther but it's cool i the moment when he is revealed and i think i think one of them says your majesty or your highness to him when he unmasks himself as t'challa it's a vibe (laughs) it really really is (laughs) like the vibe (laughs) it's really fucking cool not to get too sentimental but i feel like were so incredibly lucky that they made Black Panther when they did and that we have him forever. Oh my God, I need to like reel it in. That we have him forever in that way, you know? Okay, do you want to move on? Yeah. Next is Message from the King. Okay, Message from the King came out in 2016 and was directed by Fabrice Duets. A mysterious outsider, Jacob King, played by Chadwick, travels to Los Angeles to bring those responsible for his younger sister's disappearance to justice. Whoever you walk for, tell them this was a message from the king. And that he does. He certainly does. (laughs) (laughs) It was graphically violent. Yes. And not so great. But I thought Chadwick's accent was so good and what stood out the most to me was how he played such a ruthlessly violent character understandably i mean avenging his sister's murder but with such tenderness and heart and vulnerability he brings such a a dynamism and a layering to basically every character no matter the size of the role or the type of role, because when it comes to action movies in particular, it's easy to just kind of phone that in. And he never really does. And there, you're right that there is like a certain quality. Yeah. It actually reminds me of t- two people, Robert Downey Jr. and Kevin Hart, both of which mm. I've said to you in recent weeks how magnetic they are. Yeah. And how they bring a kinetic energy to whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. And while Chadwick's energy isn't exactly on the same wavelength as theirs, it's the same type of thing. Yeah. Like there's a, there's like an extra dimension there that you can't necessarily put your finger on. Yes. I really enjoyed this because for a couple of reasons, some relating to the movie and some just me, it, it reminds me of a kind of movie that my grandma really would like. It's like one of those just random B action movies that has like a decent plot that she would find on TV and just watch and and love. (laughs) And so it reminded me of her. And in in particular, because I actually thought in in this role, his performance quality reminded me a little bit of Denzel. 
and how he approaches some of his more actiony roles and he's one of my grandma's favorite actors of all time and so it just it just like seemed like a movie she would love and so it made me love it more when I was watching it I was so shocked at the end when he went home and we found out he was a cop I don't know why I I have no memory of that being the case probably because it was so short and at the very very end I don't know if I caught that well It's odd because when you find it out, it makes you think there should be another 15 minutes to the movie and there's not. Like he arrives home and someone meets him, someone who. Oh, yes. Okay. maybe. Well, he's a detective, I think. Yes. But but I got, you know, I mean, maybe he's not called a cop, but like same thing, really. I did uh, that. That was so quick. I I barely remember that that happened. I mean, it definitely explains a lot. Like ex- yeah. it explains why he was able to put all those different. Yes. Seemingly meaningless clues together to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. But also crazy that a detective would fly to another country and kill a bunch of people. <laughs> Again, understandably, because they like viciously murdered his sister. Yeah. But yeah, it was just wild. <laughs> Truly. All right. So next up is Marshall which came out in 2017 and was directed by Reginald Hudlin. Young Thurgood Marshall, played by Chadwick, faces one of his greatest challenges while working as a lawyer for the NAACP. Marshall travels to conservative Connecticut when wealthy socialite Eleanor Strubing, Kate Hudson, accuses Black chauffeur Joseph Spell, Sterling K. Brown, of sexual assault and attempted murder. He soon teams up with Sam Friedman, Josh Gad, a local Jewish lawyer who's never handled a criminal case. Together, the two men build a defense while contending with racist, anti-Semitic views from those who deem Spell to be guilty. Why me? I need someone who will do as I say. What makes you think I will do as you say? You have no choice. You don't know what you're doing. You're quite a salesman. There's no time for that. You want me to try this case? No, I need you to try this case. The Lord commanded Moses to enlist his brother's help. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your your mouth mouth, and you shall be as God to him. him. I thought this was so good. I freaking loved this. This is one of my favorites that we watched, honestly. First of all, you know I stand Sterling K. Brown for life. Please. When I saw him on the screen, I was like, Catherine must be in her glory, as Grandma would say. <laughs> although although not really for a while because of the, of the unfortunate character that he played. Yeah. But then we, of course, find out that he was a good guy. Yeah. Um, Josh Gad, I mean, please, love him. <laughs> although I will say he played a little bit of it too current, like too present day. I thought the same thing. I definitely <laughs> I was like, thought Josh, that. you have to reel it in a little bit. Yeah, you forget what area you're in, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it's funny that you say you love him because I thought the same thing when the movie opened and we weren't sure like what role he was going to play. And when they show him settling that other case, I was nervous he was going to be the bad guy. And I and when I realized that he was on the side of the good guys, I was thrilled so relieved right (laughs) yes also i was so happy when i realized that 
it was just going to be covering one case. He was uh, a lawyer for so many years and then became a Supreme Court judge. I wasn't sure if it was going to be like about his whole life. So I was really excited when it was just about one case because I just as a stan of a few good men, I love a good court case drama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did not like Kate Hudson in this and not just because of not liking the character the person she plays. Mm-hmm. I didn't like her. Really? I don't think she was the right choice. Interesting. Who would you have picked? Who would I have picked? Amy Adams. Ooh, she would have been I could good. even go for maybe like a Kate Beckinsale. Oh, two very good choices. But Kate Hudson just didn't feel right for me. I don't necessarily disagree. It did feel, she also felt a little out of place, especially in the scenes when they were showing the events, how they happened. I thought. Yes, exactly. Those in particular, when she's like in her room in her like nightgown, I'm like, is this the right choice here? I'm so glad you brought that up because that's exactly when I felt it. When we see the second version of what happened. Yes. The, the What actually the truth, happened. Yeah. When Sterling's character picks her up to like get, put her into like for them to get into yes. bed. I can't remember what it was, but there was some line or something in it, right around there where I was like, this is not 2017. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I uh, I do agree because in the court I didn't mind her when she was giving her testimony and when she was yeah. in her getup I that I in her getup <laughs> you thought, are our grandmas I didn't mind her I thought she fit there but it, in the flashbacks in particular is when I so I thought of this before when you mentioned how in so many of these movies it a a black character who's facing racism and discrimination ends up, quote, needing yeah. a sort of white sidekick to get him through the door. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of that. Although a more interesting dynamic because Josh playing a Jewish lawyer also faced some difficulties of his own. Yeah. I thought Chadwick and Josh were awesome together. They really were. They were like the perfect dynamic duo. How great was it? I don't remember specifically what, the objection was about, but when the opposing counsel has to make an objection because they don't want an answer of Sterling's to be left in because it completely destroys their case, and the judge is forced to side with Thurgood and Sam. So, why'd I lie, Mr. Willis? Because the truth gets me killed. That's why. I move the answer be stricken. The answer will stand. Had to draw the line. And it was it, 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 like, he didn't want to, but he's like, no, I have to allow it because he's in front of a courtroom of people and has to, because he's a judge, abide by the law. And you were like, ha ha. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was like, ha ha ha. <laughs> I wonder what it was like for someone like Thurgood Marshall or even MLK or to be working so firmly up against such intense racism and fighting for civil rights and feeling, I imagine, powerless a lot of the time while also being so well-respected and appreciated and powerful in your own community. That's so true. That dynamic, like, I wonder how 
what kind of person it takes to live inside that. It was so cool at the end too, when we saw him meet with the next family that he was going to be helping Mm -hmm. because he was so disrespected in so many ways during this case Mm -hmm. to see him then meet with a family he's going to be helping and see how much they appreciate him and how much they recognize like the boundary breaking work that he's doing. It was so unbelievably frustrating for him to not be able to speak in court most of the time. Yeah. And I was so glad that I think the movie did a really good job of showing that while Sam Friedman had most of the flashy, successful moments, we knew the whole time how much of that was because of Thurgood's knowledge and hard work and talent. Yeah, like in particular, when we see that Thurgood has to leave the room and Sam completely Mm -hmm. blanks and spaces out and (laughs) almost messes the whole thing up because of what he he questions the doctor about the the skin under his nails. So like you see how instantly without him in the room, he can't do it. I do love the moment in the beginning when when Sam is realizing that he's going to have to help and stay on the case, even though he doesn't want to. And he's, I think he asks Thurgood, like, why do you want me to be helping you? And he's like, because you're going to be someone who listens to me. Like, you're going to do what I say. And Sam responds to him, well, how do you know that I'm going to listen to what you have to say? And he basically says to him, because you don't know anything. I know everything. And you have to listen to what I have to say because, because you don't know anything. You've never been in trial, a trial case. Or a criminal case. A criminal case, yes. <laughs> My final note for Marshall was, oh, two, actually. Stir- I just wanted to point out, obviously, as we all know, that Sterling is in both this and Black Panther. Yes, of course. <laughs> the crossovers, I really get a kick out of them. <laughs> um, I just wanted to point out, in case anyone hasn't seen this, which, by the way, please watch it. It's, it's really, really good. But... In case anyone decides not to watch it, I need them to know that Sophia Bush has a cameo and that (laughs) her most notable line is, and actually it is a really pivotal line that changes the course of the movie, but really the fact that she had to deliver. Listen, men are men. And women are women. I don't know if I want to give her an Oscar or a Razzie. I was so happy to see her, though. Did you hear her voice before she's on the screen? And I was like, is that Sophia Bush? (laughs) (laughs) And then you sort of see like a blurry, like her face is a little blurry. And I'm like, that's her bone structure. Please give her a reveal. I love this Sophia Bush reveal. (laughs) You can have all the money in your head. Thurgood Marshall emerged as the prime architect of the legal battles for civil rights. He argued a record 32 civil rights cases in the U.S. Supreme Court, winning all but three. In 1954, Marshall won the landmark Supreme Court case of Brown v. Board of Education, outlawing segregation in public schools. In 1967, Thurgood Marshall became the nation's first African-American Supreme Court justice. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Telegram Marshall, you have proved to be a giant of your profession, and your career has been one of the significant epochs of our time.
All right, we're going to take a break and we'll be back soon.